and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. I'm Daniel. And I'm Matt Strackbond. Hey, Matt, you're back this way. It's Matt All right. I'm back. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. And like I said on our last episode, we're banking some episodes this week, so we're not going to have any listener feedback this week, but we already have some things that Aubrey forgot to talk about. That is right. (laughs) Yeah, so the one thing I forgot to mention in last week's episode was, uh, if you look at the cover for the first issue, you know, you got Johan's face, but it looks like it's shattered glass, broken, like, right on his eye, and then Enos uh, gets shot in the eye, and he takes over Enos' body, yeah. so it's kind of like foreshadowing on the cover. I love oh, okay. that. Yeah, that was good. Man. Good detail there. This is an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the different Hellboy stories, and we're incorporating BPRD, Hell on Earth, Abe Sapien, Witchfinder... Lobster Johnson, all the different series in the universe, and we're going to read everything, and we're going to get to the end of it, and it's going to be awesome. So we're going right along with our BPRD Hell on Earth, and we also engage with our listeners every week. And here's Danielle to tell you all about it. Thanks, John. Here's what you do. You're going to read it. We're going to tell you what you're going to read. Then you're going to read it, and then we're going to we're going to talk about it, and you're going to listen to us talking about it. And then if you want to talk about it too, then you send us a hey damn guys. That's the email. Or you get on social media and then talk to us like that. And then it's a book club and that's friendship. Back there you to go. You, John. Thank you very much. <laughs> and like I said, we don't have any listener feedback this week. We'll get caught up on that on our next episode. And so now we're going to go over to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about BPRD Hell on Earth Modern Prometheus. This is a two-issue arc published from July to August 2015 as BPRD Hell on Earth 133 and 134. Story by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by Julian Totino Tedesco. We last saw Tedesco doing some stellar covers for Witchfinder, The Mysteries of Unland. Witchfinder. 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 Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by Clem Robbins. And covers by Lawrence Campbell. Uh, and then the covers are stellar. It's like you were saying, Matt, that, that he's carrying on from the last three issues. Right. Yeah, these covers by Lawrence Campbell of Johan. And I love how... His reflection lines up with right, the yeah. eye of the sledgehammer where his mouthpiece would be. It's so smart. It's just like, oh, oh yeah. you're so good, Lawrence Campbell. God. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird not doing the book club members listener feedback because we're recording everything straight through. Yeah. You miss them? You miss those damn guys? Yeah, I miss those damn guys. Yeah, we'll hear from them oh. next week. It'll be all right. <laughs> Previously on BPRD Hell on Earth, in August of 1944, Private Redding saw the sledgehammer armor while on a mission in France. Redding was shot and he died, and he saw Fields, who was in the sledgehammer armor in this cosmic plane with the Vril eyes. Suddenly, Redding was the sledgehammer armor. In October of 1944, Redding went to go save Major Elroy and an experimental aircraft and went up against the Steel Hawk, a sumo wrestler, and the Black Flame, Ryman Diesel version. At the end of an epic battle, the Black Flame punched the chest of the Sledgehammer armor, releasing a huge burst of real energy that disintegrated him. The armor with the hole in it was no longer responsive. In the cosmic realm, the Vril eyes told Redding that he was too caught up in the petty tragedies of life. He's missing out on the grand view of the all, enlightenment. And Redding was like, not today. That's how it kind of ended, right? <laughs> yeah. And so... Here, on this story, we open in Bastogne, Belgium, New Year's Day, 1945. 
And what we're seeing is the aftermath of the Siege of Bastogne, which took place from December 20th to 27th. The Germans had to seize the roadways through eastern Belgium because all seven roads converged on Bastogne. The besieged American forces were eventually relieved by elements of General Patton's Third Army, but they suffered heavy casualties. Several regiments within the 101st Airborne Division were nicknamed the Battered Bastards of Bastogne, due to their part in holding the important crossroads during the Battle of the Bulge, which this battle was a part of. And so, you know, that happened at the end of December, and so here we are on January 1st. It just happened. These troops show up, and they have, like, tanks and all this kind of stuff. It's a lot of support. And this lieutenant reports to the major that they were pulled from active duty and told to get there on the double for equipment removal. The major says, equipment removal? Someone's not shooting straight with you. And he leads the lieutenant to this huge crater. And we see the sledgehammer armor is all blown up and strewn around in the crater in pieces. There's your routine equipment, the major says, and asks where they're taking it. No idea, the lieutenant says. And then so we cut over to the BPRD headquarters in Colorado today, and we see Johan standing in front of all the armor pieces, just like they were in that crater. I really love the symmetry of those two panels. And I love Tedesco's art. I really, we saw him do covers, but to see him do the pencils, I just really like his style. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's kind of got like that scratchy quality. And like the... The way he draws the BPRD headquarters right here on this next page, it's just so detailed. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of surprised at how few trees he draws, but you know they're in like a deep forest. Right. Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. He's really, he's implying a lot. Yeah. He's really talented. But yeah, he's a, this was a treat to see his art on this. He's got one of those styles that's really detailed, but like when it needs to be, it's, it's loose. Yeah, that's what yeah. I, yeah, that's what I was talking about. And I mostly see him do cover art. So I thought this was really cool to see him do some interior pencil work with our BPRD characters. Kate asked Johan while he's looking at all the sledgehammer pieces if he thinks he has time for a hobby. But Johan says it's serious work. The armor could replace his containment suit. And I did want to point out, like, they even put that little detail. You can see, like, at the end of Lightning War, it was burst open right yeah. there. And then somebody right. welded it shut or right, something yeah. like mm -hmm. that. Like, I like how they even put that piece of continuity in there. Johan says his current suit could be damaged in battle. Kate says that they have spares and they can repair his. She wants him to drop this project and give some veteran guidance to the new agents. Johan says they're down one suit. It's flapping in the wind over in Kansas on a street sign or whatever, right? Who can make another? Kate asks how he knows this armor will be able to contain his ectoplasm. I think it will. If I can repair it, I think it will do fine. And we see an up close of the helmet. And so I really love this too. As we pan over to the next page, we'd see that same panel of the helmet, but now we're looking at it in December of 1944. Great transition there. And we see Dr. Galaragas. She's been trying to rouse the armor since the end of Lightning War, where it was just lying there. They mention Broom helping. And Galaragas says, He's off on some magical quest for fairies or ghosts in East Bromwich. <laughs> so did you catch that reference? What is he doing right now? It's December 24th. 
He's gonna find Hellboy. He's finding Hellboy. Yeah, yeah that's what he's, he's after doing. Rasputin. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, he's chasing fairies or something." You know, I mean, <laughs> the doctor calls on Airman Stafford, and he gives us a nice recap of everything. Right? I don't think we learned as much about Fields though. So here we kind of see that Fields volunteered, and he was in a mock battle right before the beginning scene of Sledgehammer Forty Four. And we kind of see a lot of the stuff from that story that I have already mentioned. We see Redding, we see how he was killed or how he was shot, and then how he became the sledgehammer armor and helped destroy all those Nazis. We also see how they, you know, they figured out that there was somebody else in the suit. It was no longer Fields. And then they describe the events of Lightning War. And I love these flashbacks by Tedesco of the Black Flame fighting the Sledgehammer armor. It's so great. Yeah. They talk about him rescuing Major Elroy and destroying that aircraft in the process. And so, if you remember, like, he flew right through it as he was going up. And he, like, pulled the sumo wrestler out of there. But then the Black Flame, like, shocked that guy and turned him into a skeleton. And we also see some great panels of him and the Black Flame going at it. Galaragas, she interrupts the airman as he's talking and asks him to go back to Redding's first mission. Of course, Redding's squad, she says. Why didn't I think of this? And the captain says he's already looked into it. Most of them have been killed or in the hospital. Glesham's a sergeant now, and well, he's out of your reach. And so we cut over to Johan, and he says Glesham. So I thought that was so cool, like, as this flashback yeah. is going on, they mention Glesham. It, is it really a flashback, or is he kind of getting a sense of all of this while he's standing there in front of the armor? Well, it's like, you know, they said, and then he's like, wait, that word just popped in my head. Yeah, and I like this mechanic guy that's next to him. He's like, do you know what this means, Glesham? And he's like, no, sir. This reminds me of the Abe Sapien origin story. Right, yeah. Where it's like... Wait a minute. He went back in time to become himself. Yeah. You know, there's like this weird overlap with the afterlife and time travel in these stories. Right. And sort of like when you die or or in death, um, there's this whole collection of knowledge that you could tap into. Right. They don't really go there, but they hint at it or they imply something like that could yeah. be going on. The mechanic tells Johan that all the tiny screws in the armor are fused. They can be rethreaded, but that might end up with gaps in the armor, which wouldn't help Johan because then the ectoplasm could get out. Then perhaps we should consider welding, Johan says. The mechanic says that he can do that, but there's not a lot of flexibility. Unless the armor is damaged, you'll never get out again, he tells Johan. And so, at the headquarters... We see Kate and Panya, and they're observing the screens, and they're just seeing all the hell on earth that's going on everywhere. And a lot of the screens I notice like are just the static, or they have no picture. Yeah. And they're observing like hammerheads and other monsters destroying Boulder, Colorado, and they're heading north. Oh no, Matt, get out of there! Yeah, run, Matt. That Twenty miles. <laughs> 20 miles north of Boulder, Colorado is Longmont, Colorado. Oh, no, <laughs> Matt. What's happening? Yeah, and this looks like they're on Pearl Street 9th. Oh, if I had really? To wow. Choose a location. Some local which is trivia the, there. Nice. Yeah, and that would be the west end of Pearl, which is, um, you know, if you're in Colorado and you want to know direction, 
the mountains are west. Ah. So that's your point of reference. But here, when they say north, I thought they were implying coming to the headquarters. Hmm. But that, but north is, you know, Longmont, Fort Collins, Wyoming. Right. So you're at the headquarters. They, you're at the BPRD headquarters. It's your <laughs> yeah. house, man. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Johan was in that muscular body and he went out partying? Yeah. They yeah. just showed that in our last episode. I was like, man, I wish he was in Longmont. I know he's not, but. <laughs> uh, that would be awesome. There's like a hundred places he could be between there and here, but. But yeah, this would probably be downtown Boulder, Colorado being totally obliterated by demons. Yeah, so stay out of that area, Matt, where you said, wherever you said that was, there's hammerheads there eating people. Yeah. <laughs> Panya asks how far that is from where they are, and Kate says 20 miles. If Liz were here, I wouldn't worry so much. And we get this image of Liz. We see her like burning all these hammerheads. The art on this page is so good. Like it's oh, just yeah. so great. I really love all the detail. And as they pan out on this horrific scene, and then this bottom image of Liz is incredible. But Liz is in Panama. So Kate tells Ponya to get some military support. Johan's going to have to give up on his bodybuilding. They're going to need every man. And Ponya, Kate asks, do me a favor. Find out when Liz is coming back. And we reveal this Ogdraham and these hammerheads just destroying all. This is a great double splash page that we have coming up. And there's so much happening in this page. So we get this small panel. We're picking up where the mechanic was telling Johan he could never get out if he welded it. You hear me, Agent Krauss? And Johan's again saying Glesham. And we're back in 1945. And we see the sledgehammer armor, and then we focus in on the sledgehammer armor, and then we see Redding talking to this cosmic face. Tedesco has, like, an interesting take on it, right, from Lawrence Campbell and what they did in that story. Yeah, he's standing on the ground. There's, like, a landscape, and there's, like, this tree over here. I don't know what that's all about. It's kind of cool. And the galactic tree. And the cosmic eyes are not just eyes. It's like you can see like the shape of a head and stuff like that, you know. Part of a body. Yeah, it's a little more defined. Yeah, and there's like an even brighter thing behind it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a star of some kind, I guess. And they're talking about Dale Glesham. Redding tells the face, maybe I can still help. He could have helped the others. You could not have known Patrick Redding, the cosmic face says, if you had accepted where you are, if you had allowed yourself to merge with the infinite, you would have known of that and of more. And you would have known that the grenade explosion and all that happens in this dream that is life doesn't matter. Nuts to you, Captain Fields or whatever you are. Why don't you leave me alone or at least get a new script, huh? Redding says. You've been talking, seems like, forever about being human, being alive, like it's dirty. But Dale was as good as a brother to me. He looked out for me. He would have done anything for me. Ain't nothing dirty about that. Our own concept of truth doesn't support that, the cosmic face says. The Germans were prepared and willing to take you prisoner without violence. Dale Glesham created the chaos that ensued. And so I went back and looked at this. And so, yeah, Glesham was like, no, I'm not going to take this standing down. And he went. And then that's when they started shooting. And then that's how Redding got shot. Yeah, and we'd all be eating lobster in a Nazi POW camp. That what you think? Bull. Now shut up. I want to hear what they're saying. And so we cut back out and we see Dr. Galaragas talking to the sergeant. Okay, hold on. So... I'm reading into it, but I think this thing is always trying to convince him not to do the right thing. 
to just move on. And mm. that big blast of white behind that figure that he's talking to is his exit if he wants to take it. Oh. And the fact that he's like standing on some sort of ground with a tree is him holding on to right, right. his his former existence. And he wants to go back and help his friends. And this thing's telling him not to. Right. And that's not good. So I don't know if this entity is positive. Right. I think this suit somehow has like a weird connection with something Brill. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's anti-Vril. Right. Hmm. And, you know, because we saw when we were reading Rise of the Black Flame, we saw a similar sort of black goddess right. thing happen yeah. with the big eyes, right? I don't know if they're different. Right. Is it is it the same thing? Yeah. That's interesting. And, and he just mentioned lobster. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and that made me think about how I was theorizing that Lobster Johnson sees something like this. And could you imagine if in every other scene they left out, there was some entity telling Lobster Johnson not to go back and fight? Oh, okay. And then he's this bloodthirsty maniac for justice. <laughs> like, it, okay. Like, I could see how it was just pissing him off. Right. And that's why he's so uptight all the time, or that's why he's so hell bent he's constantly fighting with this thing telling him not to do that yeah and now didn't johan inhabit or wasn't johan inhabited by lobster johnson to some degree that's true yeah in those mountains with the monks i'm just drawing a whole bunch of stuff together yeah it feels like it should connect but i don't know if it it does it's connected somehow i see what you're getting at that is so interesting i gotta think about that a little bit more yeah. And, and just, I think it's so interesting how this is going back and forth. It's going to the present. It's going to 1945. It's going to the cosmic realm. There's almost like a Slaughterhouse-Five feeling to this story. You yes. know, it's kind of like moving through time. And it's conveyed so well in the panels how it like flashes back and forth. It's almost like all these things with the armor are almost happening simultaneously. And I was even thinking like maybe to the armor they are all happening at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, it's like some weird time thing, or I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, time is weird, and that's been a concept we've been wrestling with, and everything, and like... Well, it could be on that plane that their time just doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. I know we've talked about this, but she looks so much like a... Peggy Carter? Yeah, well, what's her... Uh, Haley Atwell. Yeah, Haley Atwell, yeah. Yeah, Dr. Galarraga. She does look like Haley Atwell. I think we've already talked about that. Did we talk about that? That's some good casting right there. Galaragas asks, how is Lesham out of their reach? Well, he's under siege in Bastogne, Belgium. And that's that siege that I mentioned earlier. So I like how they're tying in the historical fiction. And it's making you go, oh, now I know what's going to happen. Bastogne, the armor says, sitting up. And then we get this dynamic page of the armor just flying like a bullet out through the roof and into the sky. It goes from totally unresponsive. Yeah. She's like shouting at it. And he's like, why do you keep shouting at that thing? To sitting up accepting the mission and bursting through the roof yeah that's awesome yeah i really enjoy that are you all right doctor the sergeant asks yes what happened what happened i'd say you got exactly what you were after doctor he certainly seems motivated now and we see the sledgehammer armor just flying through the sky. I love all of this. It's so great. Oh, and I wanted to point out the airman. I like how he's like holding his heart. He's like, oh. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, the guy that was reading all the history or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. 
And then so we're back with the mechanic again. It switches back. And so Johan's just on the floor. I swear to God, Kraus, <laughs> Kate yells, you can't do this to me again. You can't be. How long has he been like that? She asks the mechanic. Almost an hour, he says. And he tells Kate what happened, what they talked about. So that's it, Kate asks? Nothing strange or out of the ordinary? Actually, he said this word I never heard before. Said it a couple times. He didn't seem to know what it meant either. It was like Crasham or Grasham. I like, <laughs> I like how when we cut, uh, or after Redding wakes up in the armor and shoots off, we cut back over to Johan. It's almost like the exact same scene, but with Kate yelling at Johan. Oh, to yeah. Get, to wake him. That's mm-hmm. right. That is so good. Wow. They're not there right now. Yeah, but poor Kate again. Like she just finds Johan. He's just on the floor, totally unresponsive. She's just like, "Oh my god, how many times?" This shit again. (laughs) Glesham. We cut back to 1944 in Bastogne. Glesham is awoken by another soldier, and they talk about having Christmas in Bastogne. They say Patton's soldiers are supposed to be there tomorrow, but Glesham isn't too excited. He says he'll be smiling in the morning if they get there. Glesham is worried that if they know, then the Krauts know where Patton is, and they might be making a big push tonight and drop artillery. And so we hear this sound, and they're like, oh no, here comes the artillery. And then we see this streak in the sky. I don't know what it is, one soldier says. I do, Glesham says. And then so we reveal Johan. What's he doing? He's floating in the sky like the sledgehammer armor, all alight with Vril. What in God's name, Johan says. Man, that was, a, that was a great ending. To the, <laughs> it was like, what the fuck? And it's like, Johan is even like, wait a minute, what What am I doing here? I love that reaction at the end of that page. I love the running gag that Sledgehammer is the ultimate weapon, but nobody knows how to get it to work, and then it'll suddenly <laughs> just start working. Yeah, that is so funny. That happens right? every single time. Every time. They were carting him around in a wheelbarrow the first time. Right. (laughs) It's just funny. (laughs) All right, chapter two. And so we get this amazing cover by Lawrence Campbell. And just like Matt said, or no, you actually said this off mic when we were in between episodes, all the different Lawrence Campbell covers with Johan and then with the sledgehammer armor, they've kind of been building to this ultimate reveal of just the full sledgehammer armor. And, you know, Modern Prometheus, we didn't talk about that, the name of the story. It made me think of Iron Prometheus, which was the Lobster Johnson story right. that involved that guy, Mr. Sachs, in the Vril armor. Mm. Yeah. We open too close to the BPRD headquarters for comfort. Just in the distance, where all these state troopers are fighting these monsters, we can see the little BPRD headquarters back there. I, I never knew there was a road right there. Going they're, up, they're always oh. coming and going by helicopter. Oh yeah, I guess you're right. It's kind of funny. So that time when Phoenix ran away, she just like walked down to the road. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. Right. <laughs> they aren't equipped for this. Kate says the National Guard is on its way. They're sending every available agent. Does that include Johan? Panya asks. No, he's still in his coma. He better be coming out soon. Kate says. Back with Johan, so we, like, focus in on him, and we're back in the 1945 flashback. And I love this, because, like, Johan realizes he's not actually there. He's like a ghost observing this flashback. A spectator. Yeah, he's like a spectator watching all this. Thank you, Aubrey. Mm -hmm. This is as close as he gets to having a power 
and it's only because of this Vril. Right, right, or whatever happens with this armor. Yeah, it's like inner, their powers are mixing together or something. I like this uh, bottom panel where they drew, um, you can see through his like, oh, armor yeah. and you just see so the, good. You see his face. And that's like one of the only times you've actually seen his yeah, face. In his, uh, I don't think we've ever seen yeah. that. Because he's, he's not ectoplasm right now. Yeah. This is his true like spirit form or something. Right, right? Yeah, him. right. So he's watching this, and Redding greets Glasham, who thinks it's still Fields, and he doesn't believe that it's Redding. Remember those two girls you snuck back into the barracks for us during basic training? Holy, <laughs> Redding, Glasham says. You think about this a lot, so, like because this isn't a trope that's in a lot of uh, movies and books and stuff. What would be the like the thing that you try to come up with? Oh, okay. To convince somebody, it's me. It's a Freaky Friday thing. Right, right. It's really me, though. <laughs> you know, you'd have to have a personalized yeah thing for every person in your life that you come across. That's like okay, wait, uh, let me think. Uh, okay, <laughs> this one time, blah blah blah. You remember that? You know, so that yeah. I think about that a lot. Uh, would be funny, like. Mm, no, I don't really remember, I don't remember that. Remember that, man? Yeah. <laughs> what, what else you got? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you were there? No. <laughs> Redding wants to get Glesham out of there, but Glesham's like, we have a mission here. Redding would never let soldiers be abandoned. And we cut to the armor. We see Redding's spectral form inside. He's right. This isn't me. What the hell's happening? Inevitable. The longer away from life, from the smallness of it, the more you change, the cosmic eyes say. You're finally seen past the illusion and into reality. You're almost there. Where? And I like how Johan's like, what am, what's going on here? Where am I? He's like so confused. Am I inside the armor? Is this even real? Who are these people? And the cosmic eyes talk to Redding. If you take that man away, there's still a battle and many men die. If you stay and fight, more Americans may live, but many Germans still die. Your instinct is to just leave. Save only your friend. You see, you're almost there. Leave them all to do what they do. To kill. Leave them all. Let go. Let go. Never, Redding says. I like how the eyes, uh, they kind of start getting yeah, closer and cool. closer. And yeah. then it's like winging off his glasses. And he's like, never. And they're, yeah. Gone. So then the sledgehammer was like, you're right, Dale, we can't leave our men. Then the artillery, the real artillery threat starts falling, and they're like, oh, the Krauts are coming. And they're like, oh, your friend, he's not taking cover. No, Goodwin, no foxholes for the hammer. A great action beat here. We see the sledgehammer armor run towards all these German tanks and soldiers, and he's like throwing tanks and using the Vril energy. You know, they're all shooting at him. And they start hitting him with the tank. And the action here by Tedesco is just so well done. It's really amazing. And Dave Stewart is just killing it on these Vril powers. It's so dynamic. And I just love all the action whenever we see the sledgehammer armor. They just do such a great job with this. So finally, the sledgehammer armor flies up in the sky. He's in full, you know, Vril mode. And he just destroys everything. In the aftermath, we see everything smoking. And the cosmic eyes are taunting the sledgehammer armor as it walks through the destroyed area. What are you, Patrick Redding? You say you value the things of this earth, the sanctity of life. But you are only and can only be an engine of death. And he's just like, shut up. Hey, Superman, somebody yells from a foxhole. 
Pent ain't showed yet. Might could be time for even you to take some cover. The sledgehammer armor, he's calling for Dale, so he's out there looking for Glesham. Meanwhile, they're still getting shot at. And then he finds him and he's dead. And he's like, oh, no, so did he kill him with the power? No, I just think he just got killed in, like, Crossfire. Right. And so he cradles Glesham, and he's just like, oh, I give up. I'm done. I give up. And we see Redding's spirit, like, floating away from the armor. And then just then the armor is hit by artillery, and it blows up. And so that's how it got to that crater when we opened at the beginning of that scene. So Redding just bails? Like, that spirit was trying to convince him to do something did he give in to that i think i think I so. so i think he went into that light or whatever it was like you were talking about mm-hmm. he just tragic he just, yeah he was too connected to that human drama and after all of this he's just like i give up i'm done so he was worried about doing the right thing whereas that thing that was talking to him was just like no that there's no right or wrong I mean, he didn't literally say that, but it was alluding to the thought that there's more to it than your earthly reasoning or something, right? right like, yeah. And that's kind of like what we were saying about there's positive and negative forces. It's not good and evil. That's what humans do with it. Yeah. And that, but it's just weird that he would give up like that. What, what always pulled him back was trying to save his friends or trying to do something like that. And I think like without that motivation anymore. Yeah. Well, this makes me think he couldn't accept what the entity was trying to tell him. Well, I was getting it that uh, the entity was telling him is like, you know, whether you save your men or, you know, kill them or they kill you and kill them. It's like every people are going to die and all you are is an engine of death. And then when he comes around, the, you know, looking for Dale and then he finds Dale is dead and he couldn't even accomplish the whole right. thing he set out to do. And he's just like, that's it. I give up. Right. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, he's like, because he realized that he really is just an engine of death. Right. And all he's going to do is cause death in this form. Is there like anything else that he could do? Like he could either just go e- embrace whatever the light or like, could he just float out of the armor and just be like trapped there? I don't know. Or can know. Vril be used to say, save the rainforest or something right. like that? Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, seems like it's always pretty um, abrasive. Right, yeah. I mean, could Vril also possibly be used to, like, heal and cleanse? Right. But, I mean, we've always seen it, I guess, use, used as destructive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, and maybe that's what they're trying to say is, like, we as humans, that's all we can do. Hmm. I mean, I don't believe that, but I'm just saying maybe that's what the spirit thinks. Right, <laughs> right. And... So we cut back over to the headquarters and we see Kate and Panya and they're watching the hammerheads and all the destruction on the monitors. And she's calling to Agent Callus. We're seeing the whole thing on CNN, she says. Why aren't you using your rocket launchers? I like how she's criticizing them on the thing. I'm seeing what you're doing and you're not doing it right. And he's like, that was the last rocket we had. The rest of them are out in the field. Trust me. I looked everywhere. And that was the last of our heavy firepower. And we cut over to Johan on the ground in his little coma. And we see like the ectoplasm coming out of the suit. His helmet goes from clear to full. Oh, okay. Like he was not in there, right? Oh, right. But like the the suit doesn't appear to be deflated. Yeah. 
I just thought that was weird. It's what like he's in that? there, but he's not. Yeah, that is weird. I didn't even notice that. What a subtle detail. We cut over to Kate. What are you telling me, Callus? Are you saying we should start evacuating the compound? Way I see it, he says, unless you got some other trick up your sleeve. And we see the ectoplasm going over to the armor. And then we see the, the Anum's fork also lighting up. And look at the demons, like, bearing down on Kate. I, I know it's on screen, but... Yeah, there's a great effect. Like, it's focusing in on Kate with that hammerhead behind her on the monitor. And so it looks like it's right over her shoulder. And it really builds this intensity where she's like, yeah. God damn it, cut the crap. Yes or no? Do we evacuate? And then there's a huge burst of light. So that's the screen behind her suddenly... Something outside caused a bright light. Oh, that's that what she's seeing. That's right. On the monitor. Okay, yeah, I like that. And so we cut over to Callus, and she's like, what was that? And then we see the sledgehammer armor, right? And so we assume that that's Johan in there after everything that's been going on, and he's just blowing away everything. I have no idea, Callus says. So that's awesome. Such a great spread. Yeah. That's, yeah, that is so, so impactful. Yeah, and it was they really built it up to be this very tense moment, and then he just comes in at the last minute. I just love that, and it's kind of like when we get these moments, it's just like, yes, we can finally rejoice a little bit or just have something good because mm -hmm. half of the time it's just been so tragic and all the stuff that just happened with Enos last week. I also like how it seems like his ectoplasm was able to just pull the armor together. Yeah, that's a great point because it was all scattered there, so how did that work? I mean, he had to, yeah pull it all together on him in the right way and everything but i guess since he was kind of in the armor already in his dream i figured that's in his vision it, like yeah. he kind of maybe saw how it fit together i love thinking about that that is so smart mm -hmm. i love that i mean once that fork activated they didn't really need to say anything it's like a numb's fork is activated that's pretty much all the explanation we need we need we know what that means right yeah and we see Agent Staz again. We haven't seen her in a while. And she's like, oh, this thing's like a furnace that's going to kill us, too. So they start moving out. And so that's something that we saw in the Iron Prometheus. Like, he actually, like, killed some people that he didn't mean to kill by going to Supernova. So then they finally, they're like, why are we stopping? Shouldn't we keep moving? And Callus is like, I don't think so. It's over. And we turn around and, like, Johan's just smoked everything. All the hammerheads and all the monsters are just totally dead. Yeah, and you've never yeah. seen that. Yeah, that's a totally new thing. That's like a game changer, right? It really it, is. At this moment in the story, for something like that to happen is just like, that could turn the tide, you know what I mean? And it's such a great ending here as Johan comes back to the base and all the troops and everyone's all cheering and clapping and everything. They're like, hell yeah. And we see Kate, of course, pushing through everybody, coming through, move it. Johan, Johan, is that you? Of course, Catherine, Johan says. Who else would be in here? The Good end. question. <laughs> yeah, and I love that because, yeah, we've seen so much. And so. Who's in there, Aubrey? I'm going to say. No. Nah. <laughs> so. A super creepy ending. Yeah, because, like, if Johan. Is Johan in there? And then, like, if he is in there, is he in the cosmic eyes and all that stuff, too? You know, is all that. Is he seeing all that? He's in the well, driver's it, seats. It made me wonder, like, he's. Are the cosmic eyes going to start talking to him? Right. Know, start telling the same thing he was saying to Redding. And how's he going to handle him? Like, dude, I've been a ghost for years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this was like. 
the last episode reading Nowhere, Nothing, Never, and now Modern Prometheus. This is like super emotional storytelling, right? I mean, it's like, oh no, that guy's gone. And then like, yeah, Johan is just like the bottom of the barrel, you know, like it's just getting worse and worse for that guy. Right. And now it's almost like the only way to just, because you can't really put aside that drama. Right. Like if that was your life, you'd be going through it and dealing with it and wallowing in it. But if there was suddenly something like as huge as Sledgehammer coming back, you'd be like, nah, fuck the drama. Right. Like I'm putting that aside, you know, like the only way to come out of that level of heaviness is for something equally impactful. And I think this was the, because now it's like, okay, well, Johan had all these problems, but we can just go right on by that now. Right. Because he's in the sledgehammer suit. Like, because it ends with a huge success. But has he found closure at all? Has he found any sort of, like, where has his soul searching led? Right. It's almost like now he's like, I'm just not going to soul search anymore. Right. Yeah. I'm just going to become this weapon. And this isn't a resolution, is my point. It's an alternative. I thought that was interesting. And it makes me think also of like, well, what happened the last time he was in a super powerful, awesome suit? You know what I mean? Like Daimyo ate his face. Yeah. yeah, there was all this, you know, he didn't make the right decisions and he kind of maybe you could say he abused the power. He didn't use it for the purposes it was intended to. So that also makes me think like, what is going to happen here with Johan and stuff like that? I think any other comic book or mainstream comic book publisher would have put him in that suit from the beginning and had him going through all that soul searching as like the story. Right. Whereas these guys introduce one massive level of complexity after another for all the characters, especially this one, keeping in mind He's in the Hellboy universe, and he's never met Hellboy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, look at right. all the stuff he's gone through in the Hellboy universe, quote-unquote. There is no Hellboy in this story. Yeah. But he knows all about him, and it wouldn't be this way without him and all that stuff. But I think anybody else would have said, okay, he died, his ectoplasm comes out, but he's mainly in this one suit, which is all-powerful. But the emotional thing is a handicap. And I don't like that. Right. I think that's cheap storytelling. Like introducing a character just to hold another character back, that kind of thing, or, yeah. or a story element just to oppose the good part. It's like, you know, and this is way off topic. I think the analogy works. It's it's like when Game of Thrones introduced dragons and you're like, oh, cool, this will be my dragon show. And then they lock the dragons up. You're like, oh, <laughs> this was my dragon show. Yeah, that was kind Where's of annoying. The dragon? <laughs> So it's it's like, that's annoying. Just give me the dragons right. if you're going to do it. But in this case, it was a great story and great character development leading up to the point where it would be like the equivalent of introducing a dragon or three, right? right. Yeah. You put him in this suit as a way of saying, well, he's not going to figure it out, but here's the alternative. Now let's see what he does with this opportunity. Because like you said, he had this opportunity before and he squandered it. Right. And he was in that, that suit that became, you know, the buff flame. Anyway, it's the way these guys do it, everyone should be applauding them because this is how you tell a story. 
it, it's just for me as a comic fan and for us as comic book fans, it's a giant bonus to have it in this format oh, and yeah. in this meeting. Yeah. yeah. And it also made me think about like, what if you hadn't read lightning war or sledgehammer 44 or the iron Prometheus lobster Johnson, like the way that it all weaves together, you know, a lot of this issue was in flashbacks to kind of remind us of this stuff. But I, I also think like it was also for readers who maybe had not read that stuff were like, hey, you know, there's all this other stuff going on that you should go check out or, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it, it ties together. It's not a meaningless one shot that's just like we need to get some money out of it. It's something that they're going to come back to and build on later and create just a richer universe. Oh, yeah. I like yeah. how they, I like how they handled all the flashbacks because it felt natural to the story. And yeah. It didn't right. feel like. Well, like, what was the word? What, how do you like to say it? Exposition. Exposition time, yeah. <laughs> Exposition. I, yeah, it's, like, it's like Scott Alley said that one time that all of their stories end with new buds on the end of the branch. Right. We'll see where right, those right. buds go, yeah. right? Yeah. But, and like, I, they have so much potential. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. As we get over to the sketchbook section on page 366, we get the awesome pencils from Tedesco redrawing those panels from Sledgehammer 44 and Lightning War. And so in Sledgehammer 44, the Sledgehammer armor fought the Ryman Diesel Black Flame. And now Johan has taken over this Sledgehammer armor, and who's the baddie right now? The Buff Flame. Yeah, so think about that too, you know. Could we possibly get another head-to-head with these characters and in these other versions? So yeah, that is so awesome to think about as we look at the pencils from Tedesco's redrawing of Lightning War. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, we're going to see Johan Sledgehammer go up against Buff Flame. Yeah. It's so exciting. I love these like couple pages because it's like I like how you're seeing his layouts. Like in the top one, he's got you know like Broom and the Doctor, kind of off to the side. But when you get to the actual pencils, you notice he's moved them in tighter. Right. Yeah, and he circled them, so maybe that's what he told himself when he circled them in that green color. Because like uh you know the the next panel and the next panel are pretty much the same, but then the last panel is also changed up a little bit too. Yeah, and this process from his roughs to the pencils to the inks is just so awesome it's really great um, to be able to enjoy that in the sketchbook section it's it's cool to know and this seems so obvious i appreciate knowing that super professional artists that i whose work i uh, respect and admire those artists also change the entire composition of their work before they finish it sometimes too like so they'll say oh this would actually be better if it was like this they try stuff out yeah and then they say wait this is better let me fix it and revise yeah. it and do something different and that's mm-hmm. what it ends up being you know that seems so obvious obviously everyone's gonna do that but like some, you know if i'm like frustrated working on a piece for a while i'm like i have to change it so many times that's why it's not done yet ah. but right. in the end i'm happier right. with it the way it is now than it would have been but it's like you know it seems like something that would be obvious but it is cool to know that that's something that literally every fucking right, artist yeah. goes through and i'm sure it's true for writers too they're like i revise this draft it's the 11th draft final yeah. final final <laughs> dot whatever doc you know what i mean like it's it's kind of a universal so funny, creative yeah. thing and yeah. so that actually that makes yeah. me feel better about my own process like oh this is a natural process it's cool to do that you know it's fine so yeah looking at the sketchbook stuff is often really interesting or we were looking at those oversized art books the mignola 
Big artist editions. Big artist edition stuff of like, oh, in the margins, what's he doing here? What's he doing there? Yeah, we didn't so talk about that. That was the thing I forgot to talk that's about. That's fun and cool. So, do. you know, we talked about the Exorcist of Vorsk on a recent episode, and the pencils of that are in the Amazing Screw on Head artist edition. We were checking those yeah, out earlier. Yeah, neat to those look at. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then I was actually looking the other day at the artist edition for Hellboy in Hell. It has the pencils for the three gold whips. And yeah, on one cool panel, too. I thought it was interesting. On one panel, where the guys, the skeleton guys, are like, "Oh yeah, nobody." The, what? the skeleton guys, they're <laughs> like, "Oh, nobody cares about us. It's true, or whatever." And Hellboy goes, "Geez." Yeah. And then, but in the artist edition, it said, "Yikes!" It said, "Yikes!" Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, we got some great cover drafts by Lawrence Campbell. I was lucky enough to get to read the full script and see some of Peter Snybeer's amazing artwork before starting to come up with ideas for the covers. I love this arc. It's so powerful and yet creepy. With the covers to Nowhere, Nothing, Never, I pretty much came up with the final idea straight away. Once I made the connection that Johan had three major changes and that this was a three-issue arc, things fell into place pretty quickly. This can be seen in group A, and so you can kind of see the different layouts. And I love these because there's one like where he saw those flashbacks, and so there's one where Johan's hand is coming out of the water, and then mm-hmm. we see Liz, Abe, Daimyo, and Panya in the back. I would have loved to have seen Lawrence Campbell draw that. Um, and then there's one where it's Enos's glasses, and just one of the glasses is shot out. I thought that that was pretty interesting, too. Oh, yeah. And then on the next page, we even see, like, one of the covers was Enos inside the Johan suit with his eyes shot out and half of his head blown off and stuff like that, which is really awesome. Um, He really incorporated a lot of different things. We see different versions of Johan being at his grave. It ultimately ended up being the Johan suit and inside was the grave of Enos, but just really interesting designs. I like how he did, was like, 24 different thumbnails. yeah. For five issues. Really, yeah. It's wonderful, though. And and Jason Abaddon talked about this once before, but I would love to have an issue of just thumbnails of the covers or something like that. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, everyone wants original art from the pages, but I would love to have something like this where it's just like all these different cover ideas that never came to fruition. He also says, with the covers to 133 and 134, I wanted to focus on the sledgehammer armor, with Johan as either a shadow or a reflection. I like that the one we went with is not a portrait, but still fits in with the previous arc. 134 has a moody shot of Sledgehammer in action, as if the metamorphosis is complete. Note the smoke coming from the Sledgehammer armor and the smoke coming from 130, a little nod to this volume being full circle. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's awesome. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, Lawrence Campbell is just amazing. And then I really enjoy this. I'll have to post this online on this last page of the sketchbook for Modern Prometheus. Julian Totino Tedesco, I really enjoyed the interaction between Dale Glesham and Sledgehammer. This small painting was a gift for John. And there's a beautiful painting of Sledgehammer and Glesham standing in the forest and all the trees covered by snow and everything. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'll have to post that online for you guys to check out. All right, that was a great episode. And so we've got a little bit of a shorter episode this week. So, you know, we're going to have some long ones and some short ones as we're banking some episodes. So I really appreciate you guys hanging with us. And I hope that you're enjoying our read through of BPRD Hell on Earth. We're going to be back with some major stuff next week. And I'm hoping that for this next episode, we will have Mark and Matt on at the same time. It's going to be so great. 
We're going to have so much to talk about. It's going to be amazing. So thank you guys so much. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. If we have Mark and Matt at the same time, it's going to be a seven-hour episode. Yeah, really, right? <laughs> That's why it's a double episode. That's why it's going to be a double <laughs> All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on BPRD, Modern Prometheus. You can send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link, the reading list, Adam Hicks Chronology, and Ryan Yule's Awesome Art Collection, all in our Facebook About section. Always a special thanks to Paul from Gartahan for the music. We love it. It's great. Thank uh, you, Paul. Thank you to Mark for helping out with the reading order. You do amazing work. This story is great. Thanks, John, for editing it to make us all sound wonderful. <laughs> you can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Next week, we are reading the BPRD End of Days issues one through three. Awesome. So you know what to do. Pull out them back issues, pull out them trades, pull out the omnis, go get some digitals, and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm well-written exposition. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Matt Strackbine. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, wait, no, I'm not really here. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Oh.